Well, good day, church. This is Pastor Scott again, and I am joined by our good friend, Pastor Kevin. Hi, Scott. <laughs> Hi, church. And we are here for another round of the post-sermon wrap-up podcast, and it is a joy to be able to join you today as we discuss this past Sunday's sermon from really the whole book of Exodus and understanding the drama of redemption. So The Exodus uh, movie trailer. Exactly. So hopefully <laughs> by now, if that's the case, that means you should be well into the book of Exodus and your reading plan this week. Ooh, so That'd be great. Um, well, Kevin, there was a lot you obviously fit into such a short uh, time that you have for a, a sermon on a Sunday morning. So a um, lot more that we could unpack and just unfold here in our time together this morning. But one of the things that, uh, you know, when we think about the Exodus, probably the first thing that naturally comes to our mind is the the, the actual Exodus itself, the the ten plagues that deliver Israel yes. out. And who recognize that a, a sermon like Sundays, we only have so much time to, to go into depth on some of those things. So I thought we'd cover just a few of the uh, significant moments in the Exodus and the redemptive narrative and talk about a little bit some of their significance before we move on to a few of the other things. So help us understand a little bit as we think about the story of the Exodus and we think particularly about the deliverance by the 10 plagues. Uh, why 10 plagues and why these particular 10 plagues? I mean, is, you know, God just kind of drawing a uh, rabbit out of his hat here. Like what's he, <laughs> what's he doing and why is he doing this? No, he's not. <laughs> so, so Exodus 12, 12. That's very easy to remember, right? Mm -hmm. 12, 12. Exodus 12, 12 says, God says to Moses, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. For I am Yahweh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, this is fascinating mm -hmm. because... In Egypt, they it was a very uh, polytheistic culture. They 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 worshipped many many gods. For example, they had a god of the Nile, the god of the Nile. They worshipped the god little G of the Nile as the source of life. Mm -hmm. They worshipped several different gods of the sun mm -hmm. that they worshipped uh, for light and life. They had a fertility god in the shape of a cow. Mm -hmm. that they worshipped for fertility. They had a... Uh, Pharaoh himself was was considered divine mm -hmm. as the ruler of the people and the god, little g, of the Egyptians. But if you go through the plagues and the Nile is turned to blood and the sun is turned to darkness and the firstborn of Pharaoh is killed and... They, they worship a god of medicine, and, and the plagues bring boils mm -hmm. on everybody that cannot be cured. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they worship a god of the, the gnats, and, and God brings gnats. In other words, all these plagues are mm -hmm. actually God's particular judgment to say, okay, I'm going to go on your little G God's mm -hmm. playing field, and I'm going to prove myself superior there. Mm -hmm. He is Yahweh. There mm -hmm. is no God mm -hmm. like our God. He is greater than all other gods. And the plagues show his multiplied wonders so that all the world would know mm -hmm. that he is Yahweh. So good. 
Yeah, it's one of those things you, you don't really think about naturally, but yeah, how these all become a judgment really against these supposed gods that the Egyptians worshipped and really showing that there is, there are no other gods. He is the only one. It almost yes. reminds me of Elijah and uh, the battle with the uh, yeah. prophets of, uh, <laughs> of, Baal. of Baal on Mount Carmel. Yeah. So it's, yeah. uh, and he does it all too, as you said, establish his name and his glory. Now, that 10th plague is a really significant one. So we have the death of the firstborn. And one of the things that was you brought out on Sunday was so significant was this idea of separation, that what was happening to the Egyptians was not happening with the the Israelites. Now, what's fascinating is with that one, it seemed like there was a risk that that one could have happened to the Israelites had they not partaken in what God called the Passover. So yeah. talk to us about the Passover and its significance here, but also then in the larger redemptive narrative of Scripture. So again, this is Exodus chapter 12. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I didn't spend more time on I know, Exodus right? chapter 12 why, on Sunday. This is why a post-sermon wrap-up podcast exists. <laughs> but chapter 12 introduces us to this concept of the Passover, which becomes a memorial feast on an annual basis as a remembrance of their deliverance out of Egypt. But in the Passover, right, just a reminder what this is, every family was to take a young lamb, uh, a a young lamb. Hopefully not a man. (laughs) Well, not Isaac anymore. (laughs) And and select that lamb on the 10th of the month. Live with that lamb for four days in their own home. Mm -hmm. And on the 14th of the month, slay that unblemished lamb with no broken bones uh, so that they could apply the blood of that lamb over the doorpost, over the entryway of their home, so that the death angel would pass over and not strike the firstborn of that house dead in the final plague of judgment. Now, what's fascinating about this is there are so many parallels now then to our salvation Mm -hmm. through Christ. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, my Bible can get there. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, in fact, I'll start in verse 6, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven, leaven's the whole lump, Mm -hmm. that leaven kind of reminds us of the wilderness wandering. He says, verse 7, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. In other words, cleanse out your sin, Mm -hmm. loved ones, as you are really unleavened because God has made you righteous for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Mm -hmm. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 or chapter 5 verse 7 explicitly mm-hmm. says Jesus the Messiah is our Passover lamb. So now all who believe and by faith take Christ as their savior. His blood washes over us and shelters us from the judgment that mm-hmm. our sin deserves. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I love it. It's uh, It brings so much color. And I mean, this is a, a feast that was so significant to the people for for hundreds of years after this, right? That this was something they would observe and always this pointing forward, especially as we look at it now with Christ, the fullness yeah. of that, uh, you know, and showing us that now, like he has done it once and for all. Yeah. You know, so. And so where do we see the Passover celebrated by Christ himself? 
-hmm. But the night before the cross, mm -hmm. he's sitting with his disciples, celebrating the Passover, remembering the Exodus, mm -hmm. remembering God's deliverance of his people. The four cups of the Passover were the four I will promises from Exodus 6, 6 to 7, that God says, I will bring you out. I will redeem mm -hmm. you. I will make you a people myself. And they are remembering those promises when, when Jesus turns the Passover memorial feast mm -hmm. the night before the cross and he says i'm not going to drink this last cup mm -hmm. because i'm going to go and fulfill the third cup i'm going to i'm going to go and and die for you mm. but now remember this and he institutes what we now call the lord's supper or communion mm -hmm. so we no longer celebrate passover mm -hmm. we celebrate the lord's supper where we proclaim the Lord's death until mm -hmm. he comes and we remember how he died to cover our sins and bring us out mm -hmm. of slavery to sin. That wow. is an amazing, wow, amazing thing. So now the, the Passover and the night of uh, this very first Passover, as we know, this is pretty much the, figuratively speaking, this is the, the straw that breaks the camel's back for hmm. Pharaoh. So before this, we see this stubbornness, this hard-heartedness that will not let the people go until he loses his own son and eventually gives them the freedom to go. And we know he changes his mind later and pursues them. But this is really what sets in motion the people actually starting to leave uh, the land here. Now, just alluded to it there, before this, Pharaoh was very hard-hardened. So you spent a good deal of time talking in this sermon about that real uh, balance between understanding Pharaoh's responsibility for his sin and yet also God's sovereignty over it. Because we see in certain places where it seems like, well, Pharaoh's hardening his heart. Well, God's hardening his heart. So what's what's going on there and how do we best reconcile those two truths together? Yeah, the, the, the reconciliation of man's responsibility and God's sovereignty is a question that has plagued, you know, well-meaning Bible students for, for, for many, many generations. And I don't know how to better answer it than what Paul does in Romans chapter 9. So if you turn your Bible to Romans chapter 9, Paul engages in this very debate or this very question, maybe. It's maybe not a debate, but it's, it's, a, it's an honest question. And he says in verse 14 of chapter 9, what, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? In other words, uh, is God somehow wrong? Mm -hmm. Is his character somehow stained or tainted by how he claims to be the ultimate cause for man's responsible sin? Mm -hmm. Well, verse 15 Paul answers that question. He says, for, for God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. In other words, so he goes right to the Exodus here. Mm -hmm. He goes and he says, so let's look about how God dealt with Moses. And God claimed to say, you know what? I'm not going to treat everybody the same. Some people I'm going to give mercy to, and I'm going to give mercy to who I want to give mercy mm -hmm. to, and I'm going to have compassion on who I want to have compassion on, so that it's not about what people are doing. It's not about their decision. It's not about their will. It's not about their efforts. It's all about God and his electing mercy. And then verse 17, mm -hmm. 
says very explicitly, Romans 9, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed through all the earth. That's a quote from Exodus 9. So then, God has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Now, there's an objector in Romans 9 that comes back in verse uh, 19. It says, well, you will say to me then, why does God still find fault? How can God hold us accountable for sin mm -hmm. that he's claiming ultimate responsibility for? Right? Mm -hmm. Who can resist God's will? And the answer that Paul gives in verse 20, who are you, O man, to answer back to God? In other words, friends, and I know this is, this is hard, but we have to reckon with the reality that we are not God. And, and there, if there is a God, and I believe there is, and he has chosen to reveal himself to us, and I believe he has through his word and through the person of Jesus, we must receive God as he has revealed himself mm -hmm. to be. We must not remake God in our own image. We must understand God is the potter. We are the clay. And God's glory is the supreme satisfaction of our soul. And our God is a jealous God. Exodus 15 describes God in such powerful ways. It says, verse 11, uh, Who is like you, Yahweh, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? In other words, God is incomprehensible in his glory. Uh, verse 18, Yahweh will reign forever and ever. Uh, the Lord, verse 3, the Lord is a man of war. Yahweh is his name. God is bigger than us. So he has invited us to know him, to rest in him. He has poured out his mercy upon us. And we must not question, but we must believe and fear him and rejoice in his presence. It really is a divine mystery, isn't it? It is. And it's one that I, I know years ago, that was probably one of the, the first things I had just come to terms with was just that humility of saying like, yeah, I, I'm not God. I, you know, his, he is bigger, more mysterious than I can understand. And I mean, it's not right that he would even save a person like myself. And yet he, he does, right? That he will have compassion on whom he chooses to have compassion and, um, yeah, so we're obviously very sensitive that this is not an easy thing to reconcile in our minds, but I think our, our sinful pride so often, we live in a culture that says you have to understand in order yeah. to, to believe it. And, um, I just don't think that that's the case. And, uh, I think you will ultimately drive yourself crazy if you keep trying to perfectly reconcile those two, two things together. Yeah. And, and here's, here's the reality. We wrestle with this primarily because we minimize the extent of our sin. Mm. If, if you rightly understand your own sinfulness of sin, <laughs> you rightly understand how sinful we are and what we actually deserve from mm -hmm. God. These questions go away. Mm-hmm. Frankly, these are questions. These these questions about God's sovereignty are questions that come from affluent, privileged people who are used to being served. Mm -hmm. 
But when you understand that we deserve nothing but judgment and eternal condemnation and separation, we deserve death because of our own sin. Then it's mm. marvelous. Mm -hmm. It's marvelous to understand there's a God who's sovereign enough to yet show mercy. He is a good God. Uh, no one ever goes to hell apart from their own deserving. Mm. But God is merciful that some of us, those who, who have been given the grace to believe on Jesus Christ, will be forever in his presence. That's an amazing thing. Mm -hmm. Well, it's uh, it's an appropriate thought, I feel like, to to wrap up our time together here this morning. So I'm very grateful for your time. Thank you for your faithfulness this last Sunday. You bit off a large chunk of the Bible in one sermon, and so it's been very, so good for me. I've I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's a lot of work, but yep. <laughs> the chef gets to taste of the delicacies in <laughs> of the course. kitchen. Yep. So so we're excited as we continue to study. You have a few weeks off here now, yeah. which is great. I mean, after a week like that, you deserve a few weeks off. So we're jumping back in next week, and we're we're really pushing the fast forward <laughs> button on on history here. We're jumping all the way to the Book of Joshua, and uh, we'll see. Forty the years later. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see the walls walls come a tumbling down in Jericho, and uh, I'm excited to be able to uh, to unpack that for you guys next week. So, thank you again, Church, for your humility, teachability. Obviously, if you ever have follow up questions to any of the the sermons on a Sunday, shoot us an email uh, on Sunday afternoon or early Monday, and we'd love to be able to take those in consideration as we uh, think about the podcast that we record here on Tuesday morning. So uh, again, thank you for your teachability and humility, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. God bless you, church.